What God wants out of us as Christians is to find that calling and to pursue that calling, not out of envy and jealousy, but out of a heart desire to want to go after him. All fear bows. All depression bows. Goliath bows. Because the giant slayer has come. Goliath has fallen. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What is this giant that is seeking to rob me of the future that God told me is mine? What is this giant? What is this uncircumcised giant that's daring enough to rob me of the peace that my Lord, my Savior, purchased for me with his own blood on the cross? God, yours is the victory. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. We don't bow before anxiety. We bow before the Prince of Peace. We bow before shalom, before the only one who's worthy of it all. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence, Lord God. Help us, we pray. Like we sang, continue to allow it to be true for each and every single one of us, Lord God. The Bible says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for that's what the Bible says. He cares for you. The, Bible, the word care there literally is the same word in the Greek for anxiety. Cast your anxiety upon the Lord. Why? Because he's anxious. A play on words there. God is anxious in the good sense for you. You may be anxious in the wrong way. God's anxious about you in the right way. Hallelujah. He's anxious about you. So much so that he says, give it to me. Put it on my shoulders. I'll take it on. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. We give you all the glory. And now as we're about to transition ourselves from this time of worship and song, help us now as we approach your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. As you find in your seat, if you could go on ahead and turn yourself to the book of Philippians, what I'd like to do is read a whole portion of Scripture 12 through 18 just to capture this particular section of, of our, our scripture for, for today. Verses 12 through 18, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, where Paul says there, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill the latter do it out of love, not knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. This is the reading from God's Word. We had a chance uh, to look at a portion of this section last week, didn't we? This is going to be considerate a second part of a, of a two-part, no more message because I was pregnant with more than one service allowed me, so... We're going to s s spread labor and delivery across two Sundays, if you'll permit. 
We're about to get this baby out one way or another. <laughs> but there's still a little bit more in me. You'll understand. Paul, at this particular point in this section of Scripture, beginning in verse 12, is, is uh, turning at, at a particular point in his message and in his epistle. He's actually um, extending a ministry update. He's, he's sending out a ministry update. Those of you who, who um, support a ministry outside of this local church, maybe there's a ministry you're passionate about and you've been behind for a while now, and if that partnership is official, you have experienced and you can vouch uh, with me that from time to time, that ministry will send out to you a, a newsletter, right? A ministry update for your ongoing prayers and perhaps even, no doubt, support financially. And that newsletter is a chance to kind of get caught up as far as what God's been up to through the ministry so that you know how to better pray and support uh, this particular ministry. Paul's doing that. Ministry updates, newsletters are biblical. We see Paul, it's just in scripture. And here he is saying, I know y'all been praying for me. And I know you've been a support from a distance, and I know you've really been concerned about my state and my status and, and what's been going on with this ministry. So here it is. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I, need you, I knew you knew something, but I knew you didn't know everything. And so here he is. He's issuing it. It's almost like uh, here he is in prison, and he found like a little spot. Uh, this is how we are, some of us in our houses, right? One part of the house, you got all four bars, Right? Wi-Fi access. Another part of the house is like, what is it with this part of the house? I can't get anything. And so here he is in his prison, and he's found him a little spot to be able to get a little Wi-Fi connection, if you will, so he could get onto his Facebook page, the Apostle Paul's ministry. And uh, I got a page where um, from time to time, if I'm inactive on my ministry page for a while, all it takes is a week, they'll say, uh, your followers have not heard from you in a while. Would you care to post anything? And Paul got that. Philippian church hasn't heard from you in a while. And so here he is. He, he posts. And this is his update. Good news. I want my followers to be able to know what this ministry has been doing, what God has been up to. And so here he updates his followers. But like social media, so in the case with the Apostle Paul. You got good comments, you got comments that you know they should have kept it to themselves. You got fond supporters of you, and then you got that T word, trolls. You got people who love what you're doing out there, and every day they make it a point. They got you in their save section. Like You regularly come up in their feed because they really believe in what you believe in. They stand behind what this ministry is about. But then you got them other people who, they visit the page, but they visit the page so that they can find more fodder, more material. They're heresy hunters, right? These are the guys who are always looking for something, either in the minister himself or in the ministry itself. Did you see? I told you. I knew it. You see, I was telling you all along. Look, there it is. He's in prison. What kind of guy who God is behind is going to land themselves in prison? I told you, you should never be following him in the first place. You call this a successful ministry? Now what y'all got to say for yourselves? And Paul, not only does he get a chance to get Wi-Fi access so he could put something out there, he's finding out what people are saying about him now that he got access. It's like, how long is this? these comments? Four days ago? Ten days? Man, I, I really needed to get this in my head. That's why it's important for you the, that the first thing you wake up with is not your smartphone and news or, or social media and every other negativity and, and toxic thing that somebody wants to broadcast just because they got a bill that was paid that allows them to do so. It ain't worth it. It's not worth your soul. It's not worth your day that you still got ahead of you. It's not worth your life. But Paul cared. He's like, these people are following me. They deserve to, to receive an update. I don't want them struggling like this over me when all this good stuff, Caesar's household is getting saved. I got brothers and sisters more bold in Jesus because of what they've seen in me handling my situation right. I got to let other people know about this. So there's, which point being what? It's not my main point, but point being what? Social media ain't all bad. <laughs> you see, it's how you use it. 
You see, Paul is trying to, if you'll allow me, I know he doesn't have it, okay? I don't need anybody talking to me or even nab. Paul is saying, look, this was the social media of their day, epistles, written on papyrus. That's how they did it. That's how he got the word out there. But guess what? Well before social media, if somebody wanted to put something negative out there, if somebody wanted to use a medium, a technology, a tool for dirt, they're going to find a way. These guys found a way to allow their dirt to be broadcasted. And now we're about to find out, did it take Paul down or not? That's what we talked about last week, didn't we? We talked about jealousy and envy in its respective categories and how although the two words are, are separate, we don't want to defer, we don't want to create a difference between them too much to where now we're going beyond what scripture teaches. But what did we understand about envy that we see here in these brothers toward Paul? We said that envy or jealousy is, could be understood in a couple of ways, and that's this. It's a reaction toward feeling threatened by someone. It could be what they have, their charm, their skills, their reputation, you name it. Like these brothers right here, they're threatened by Paul and what he's got. They're threatened by his joy. They're threatened by his, what do we sing about? His peace. They're threatened by how he's handling his situation. They're threatened by the fact that he's got enough going on on his plate to be able to give deuces to Jesus, and yet with all of it going on, he's still trusting in him. He's still rejoicing in him. And here they're, they're like, no, that's not right. What is it with this person? And so they're threatened by this person. It could also be a fear, a fear of being replaced, a fear of being replaced by a friend. It's like, I know I'm her friend right now, but I'm afraid. I'm, I'm dealing with anxiety because I'm insecure because I know it looks like people like me, but I just think as soon as the right person comes around, they're going to ditch me for another friend. And so you go all throughout your life insecure, even with the friendships that you have, because with all that they've done to be able to communicate you're a real friend, that's still not enough. You live with perpetual anxiety over how long is it going to be this way. Some of us fear being replaced at our jobs by an employee. Others of us feel fear being replaced by a ministry leader in ministry. Others of us feel being replaced by a girlfriend or a boyfriend if we're dating or if we're in marriage by another spouse. There's going to come a day where she's going to be done with me. She's, she's going to say, enough is enough. I'm going for somebody else. I'm going for her. I'm going for him. We all live with it. Paul lived with it. How did Paul get out? That's the key. How did Paul ensure that it didn't get the best of him? Jealousy, that is, envy. You see, envy comes after everyone. We saw that all throughout the scriptures. But Jesus, remember in John chapter 5 and verse 44, gave us a little sneak peek into how he addressed envy and jealousy and made sure that it didn't get the best of him. Remember, envy and jealousy can crop up like weeds that I hate in my lawn in all sorts of different ways. Number one, I could be jealous of other people. That's one way jealousy can show up in my life. The second way that jealousy can show up in my life is by how I allow myself to be affected by other people's jealousy of me. It's one thing for them to be jealous of me, and then when I find out about it, when I allow it to crush me, that's a problem. The third form of jealousy that can show up in our lives is this, when I am the cause of the jealousy that exists in another person, albeit inadvertently, it doesn't matter. When I had something or another to do to contribute to why jealousy exists in another person's life, that can come up. Jesus was never guilty, my point is, of any one of these things. The motivating factor, the, the impetus, the, the, the incentive, what drove Jesus forward in his life and in his ministry was not envy toward other people, nor was it how other people were envious of him, nor was it he being the cause. It grieved him. It would have grieved him, just the thought of it, to be the one who's responsible for jealousy that exists in other people's lives. It was neither one of them. So what that means for us is this. If we're going to get a hold of jealousy, if we're going to make sure that it's not going to have a hold of us and shape us in our life, 
We've got to become more and more like Jesus and less and less like ourselves. That's what we said last week. And we went to John 5.44 to point out how Jesus modeled this. Remember what he says. How can you believe? John 5.44. The reason why you don't believe is because you're too busy, Jesus said to the religious leaders, looking for praise that comes from, help me, one another, and not from glory that comes from the only God. He's saying, look, I see you. You can't believe in me or in my Father. You can't live out of your true identity. God's anointing can't be on your life. Why? Because you're too preoccupied with what other people think about you. You're too consumed by getting it from others than you are by God. Whereas on Jesus' hand, the reason why he was completely different from every other human being on the planet was because of the center that Jesus lived from and his ministry from. And that was he found it from God. This is my beloved son, Mark 1, with whom I'm what? I'm well pleased. He got glory. He got affirmation. He got attention. He got affection. He got status and reputation and everything that we're looking for from his father. And it was out of that that he moved forward in his life and his ministry. He didn't move out for it. He moved out from it. And that's critical. Whereas in the case of these religious leaders, they may have styled themselves as one who are in right relationship with God. Go up a little bit. Verse 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. But you would not come to me that you might have life. In other words, how can you be so busy in the word but never get to me? The word is about me. It became an end in and of itself. And Jesus says, look, I'm busy about getting glory, praise, and affirmation from my Father. I do what he tells me to do. I say what he tells me to say. And I go where he tells me to go. And if God is in approval of it, then that's fine. That's what allowed Jesus to be able to handle the fickleness of people in his life. And that's what's going to help me and you be able to handle how fickle folk could be in our lives from time to time. From the beginning, Jesus had people who were like, I'm with you. I'm on this team. Sign me up, coach. And here he is, gaining a following. And then all of a sudden, doing all sorts of stuff. Crowds flocking to him in droves. Like, check this dude out. And then all of a sudden, he preaches one sermon that doesn't sit with him. Pew! And they're gone, just like that. And he's like, where do they go? And he looks at his disciples, and he says to them in John 6, um, will you also go? It's almost like, even in his question, he was ready for the answer none of us want. Why? What enabled him to? It wasn't like, will you go too? It wasn't that kind. It was, will you also go? And he was concerned for them. I hope you don't make the same decision they do. A lot of us are so pastors, planners, leaders, people who want to get married, people who think a relationship is going in the right direction, but the wedding still is days, weeks, months. Will you go? You saw him. Will you still want me? You saw her. Do you still? Will you go? We enter into friendships, and we can't even enjoy them because will you go? Remember what I said? Envy and jealousy is defined as fear of being replaced, threatened by somebody else and what they got going on. Jesus didn't operate out of that way. He says, will you go? I hope you don't, but you, I can't make that decision for you. Will you go? And what did Peter say? To whom shall we go? You got what? You got the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. We're sold. We're in. We're all in. You have the words of eternal life. You see, Jesus, and that didn't end all throughout his ministry and all throughout his time here on this earth. He was constantly having people in and out of his life and his ministry. How come he didn't cave? What allowed him? The Bible says he set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. It doesn't say that it was for the approval and the glory of others that he endured the cross despising and shame. That's not what my Bible tells me. It doesn't say it was for the affection and the attention and the glory of others that he endured the cross. No, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. He appreciated when he came. Be thankful for it when people give you accolades and recognition. Nothing wrong with that. Don't knock that. But at the end of the day, don't live on that. Don't put your weight on that because you never know when it's going to leave you. 
You never know when there's going to be a turn of events. And if your life has been up till then being built on that, there goes your life with the praise and the glory and the affection. But if your life is built upon God and the glory, remember, the honor and the praise that he's already given you because you belong to his son, people can come and go, but you're going to do fine. You're going to be fine. You're going to be all right. This is what's going to happen. This is why you don't get married to get praise and glory from her or from him. That's going to be a toxic marriage. You better already have it going into that marriage. You don't go through membership class and become a member of a church in order to get it. It's going to be very scary for you and everybody else who's going to find out eventually why you ended up becoming a part of the church in the first place. you got to have it already from God. That's what's going to allow you to handle the fact that human beings aren't perfect. Otherwise, there's no margin. There's no room for us to be able to give each other room to be able to grow and develop in our identity. Everybody's got to bring it. And if they don't, I'm crushed. Honey, you got to bring it. And when she doesn't, I'm crushed. And so Jesus says here, I look for it from my Father, that glory. You remember in John chapter 7, Jesus' brothers come to him. Um, and uh, the Feast of Booths are, are around the corner every year. There's seven feasts that the Jews observed. And there's this one particular one that's right around the corner. And here they are itching to get over there because that's where everyone's at. That's Carnegie Hall. That's Broadway. That's Hollywood. Coachella. That's everything. Like, you name it. I don't know what we got here in Dallas. Um, but that's, that's where everybody's at in a religious sense, okay? And here they come up to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, we got to go. <laughs> Jesus. I understand you've been doing well. We've been seeing the works, the miracles, but this ain't the place. You're too obscure. I looked at your gram. You only got about 200 followers. You're not looking good. Man, all these other guys, they got 7 million, 100 million. If you want to see those numbers change, that's the place to be. You're trying to go public. You're trying to go live, right? You're trying to make it, aren't you? That's where you need to be. We're just trying to help you. Your branding is looking a little, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm. Understand me, I'm not trying to knock you, Jesus, but you need a little help with your storytelling. Your branding ain't really communicating. That's how we come, church growth experts, right? We know how to grow the church. We know how to get your ministry booming. People look for this. You got to dress this way. You got to have the church this way. You got to be on this block. You got to be at these places. You got to platform with these kinds of people. You got to, you got to, you got to, you got to. I could go on and on and on. And Jesus, says, I don't move that way. He says, your time is always. Every time you're itching, that dopamine kicks, you feel like you got to go to social media and look at what's been updated since the last five minutes. Your time is always. But my time is what? To do the will of my Father. My time has not yet come. Why? You see, what drove them there was the glory and affirmation and attention. Do you realize what this could do for our business? We may not have what he has, but we could be his business managers. Yeah, yeah. And we'll go on tour with him, and we'll help him on that side, and we'll make a killing in the process. And he's like, no, 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 no. Not only am I not going to help you with that, that's not how I move. That's not how I operate. So if it's this real, how do you cope with jealousy and envy? How do you, how do you overcome jealousy and envy in this way? How did Paul overcome it? In this way, number one, you begin not only by what I said last time, by receiving the honor that comes from God, 1 Peter 5, 6. Remember that? But humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in his proper time. Right? That's how you begin. Number one, you begin by waiting upon the honor that's going to come from God. Number two, you begin... By being assured of your own calling. By being assured of your own calling. That's what we need. We need a calling that we can be preoccupied with that allows us to be able to be content with what God has called us to and not what another man or another woman is called to. That's what we're struggling with. But when I say that, I'm not saying this. Understand me. When I say we need to be assured of our own calling... 
What I'm pointing out is this. Follow me. Not another person's calling. Okay? I'm not asking you to arrive at and determine your calling on your life based on what he's doing or what she's up to or what they got going on. No, no, no. God has something unique and special for your life. Not the next man's life, your life. He's got something for him too. But you've got to make sure that what drives you is not what other people are up to, but what God is up to in your life. That's critical. It's critical. You'll be surprised how many people are living in the next lane even though they're in this lane. Their car may be in this lane, but their eyes are in the next lane. That's not a way to drive a car. That's not a way to live a life. That's not a way to find a calling. John chapter 21. Let me show you something real quick. John chapter 21. Jesus with Peter and John, John chapter 21, says he's spending this time with Peter and John. He's got his final words he wants to offer them. And Peter turns to Jesus. And Peter turned and he saw the disciple other than Jesus. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, speaking of John the apostle, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Verse 21. When Peter saw him, he says to Jesus, Lord, what about this dude? I understand what you told me. Okay, I got it. I got my marching orders. I understand. Okay, I get my calling. Okay, you gave me a calling, but can I just ask real quick, how about... What do you got for him? Well, what about him? What about this man? What does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, what? If it is my will, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? Let's say I got a whole nother plan for him. How does that interfere with what you and I got going on? So much of us are basing our peace and our joy in our marriages, in our relationships, in our parenting, in our ability to enjoy our church, in our job, in our lifestyle stage, on what's going on with somebody else. It's like the reason why I can't enjoy my marriage is I keep focusing on other people's marriages. The reason why I can't be thankful and just be in the moment with my own kids is because I'm constantly putting up against those parents and their kids. The reason why I can't be thankful for this church and be all hands on deck and all in is because I'm itching and I'm wanting to be at every other church. And I can't experience and value the moment with the people that I'm at. The reason why I can't be content with my job is not that it's not a decent job and I can't make something of it. Just I'm constantly looking at the next job. And Jesus is looking at Peter and is like, what is that to you? It's almost, Peter, don't get me wrong, but I, I'm kind of tempted to believe that you're asking me that question because you got another question. That you're, you're, you're trying to say, I'll obey you, Jesus, insofar as I'm okay with what program you got going on with other people. It's like, Peter, how does my response to you about what's going on with John affect what I've already told you. But that's what happens. It's like, oh, we need volunteers this Saturday. We need people to come in a little bit early on Sunday. Oh, we're going to need more people involved in this particular department because we've, we're down to about, it would be great if we could have somebody start up a, who else is? Who else is going to be there? How many other people are going to be? We're always basing our obedience or our willingness to sign up for something and be all into something on, well, what about this man? What about them? Am I the only one? And Jesus says to Peter, what, what is that to you? Is it me that called you? Is it my assignment for your life? And is that the place where you find your greatest joy and your greatest happiness and pleasure and peace? Yes. Shouldn't that be enough? But if the truth be told, I got to be the first one to admit I wish I could say all week long, all day long, it's enough. But sometimes I just want to say, God, you know what? It's not enough. 
I know it should be, but there's still parts in me that say, you know what? It's not enough. I not only want to know what you have to say for my life, I also want to see what's going on with other people's lives and be able to have a chance to do what they're doing and live the way that they're living. And God says, you know what? It may, like candy, like cotton candy, it may look good, but it's really nothing. I remember my kids, the first time they bought it, I was trying to explain it to them when they were real young. And I first introduced them into, just to try to get back there. I know y'all had it, but try to get back to that moment where you had your hands on some cotton candy for the first time. And it looks like it's something until you go, man, and that's how it is. You look over at somebody else's gram and what they've posted and what's going on in their life. You look over at somebody else's world. You look over at somebody else's relationship and at their job and what they're doing at somebody else's church and what they're running and what kind of facilities they got going on. And it's like just biting into nothing. When all the while I could have used all that time and all that energy just being thankful for where God has me, being thankful for where, what he's made me to be and the people that he's put in my life and to be all present right here, right now with God and with others. But we can't. We're with others, but we're also with, with others. <laughs> and, and, and Jesus is saying, look, you can't serve two masters. The life you think you need and the life I've given you. Those are the two masters, if you'll allow me. It may not be money and God sometimes. Other times, it's, it's, it's the life we're dreaming of. It's like, oh, man, if, if my grand story could look like his, if that could represent my life, that's joy. That's living. If I could travel like him, if I could see the world like him, if I could minister like him, if I could know people like him, if I could be platformed like him, that's living. And then there's this life that I've been given. And guess what? Not only am I allowing it to eat me up over here to where I have no room to rejoice and celebrate what God's doing in another person's life, I'm killing my joy over here. So I'm not even able to enjoy the life I have. So you got to begin by being assured of your calling, your own calling. Jesus says, I gave you a calling. It's clear, Peter. What about this man? Don't worry about him. How about you? You got a calling on your life. Every single one of you have a calling on your life. And what God wants you to do is own it, embrace it, and live out of that identity. You see these brothers right here in Philippians 1? They had a calling on their life, but they couldn't enjoy it. Why? They kept looking at Paul. They kept being all overwhelmed with what was going on with Paul's life rather than, and they couldn't even rejoice with what God was doing in his life. They were so eaten alive by envy and jealousy that they had no room to rejoice over what God was doing in his life, nor did they have room to embrace the calling upon their own life. I wonder how many people here are in that place as well. Not too long ago, there was a book that was written by a doctor, Lawrence Peter. And um, Peter, um, Dr. Peter, did a research study and came to have a finding which is known till this day. It's in business practices. And it's referred to as the Peter Principle. Maybe you've heard of this. He coined the term, the Peter Principle. And the title of the book actually is The Peter Principle. And the whole premise of the book, in a nutshell, is people have a tendency to be promoted to the level of their own incompetence. People have a tendency to be promoted to the level of their own incompetence. <laughs> so true, right? What the book discovered, what the research study discovered as they tracked people from all sorts of businesses, all sorts of fields, all sorts of uh, pay grades, all across the country was this. That what happens is, and this maybe have been your experience, you've seen this, you've witnessed this, people will be fine in the position or the title that they're at in their department doesn't matter what their position is. They're flourishing. They're doing more than what their job requires. Other people are benefiting from them. Their employers feel all the best for having hired them, and they have great relationships, and all of their gifts are coming to the fore. But what ends up happening is if envy and jealousy gets in the way and they start 
being discontented with where they're at, and there's nothing wrong with promotion, but it's how you go about it in our culture and our society, they start jockeying for different positions and statuses for promotions or for jobs for the first time, and they even succeed. They end up being the most miserable people in those professions or in those positions or in those statuses. Not only are they miserable, they're not able to tap into their potential. People hate being around them because they're the kind of people that nobody wants to be around, and they suck, if you will, at relationships. Their EQ, down. Their emotional quotient, down. What happened? They got out of God's assignment for their life. And it wasn't so much that it was wrong that they were in a position that they now occupy. And guess what? They wouldn't have got there unless there were employers or people who were in the position of hiring or doing the promoting that helped fuel that envy and that jealousy. So much of what motivates people, not only getting into certain jobs, but even getting into certain promotions within jobs is not this, this pure heart that I can bring value to this company, that I can really contribute something that it would help me be able to express the full range of my aptitudes and my abilities and my skill set. No, it's, oh, he got in it? Watch, I'm going to apply. As soon as I see that, it come up on the board. Oh, she's in there? Who put her? Right? It's all sorts of ways in which are less than God's ideal for us that get us into this place. So what ends up happening? So many people eventually end up occupying positions, Capitol Hill, White House, government, local school assemblies, schools, hospitals, HR, church, ministry, preachers, pastors. There are a lot of people who are in positions that don't belong there. There are a lot of people who are in positions where they've walked outside of their anointing, which I'm gonna, what I'm going to talk about in a second. There are a lot of people who may have succeeded at getting it, but at what cost is the question. And so Peter, Dr. Peter says, people tend, based on our findings, to be promoted to the level of their incompetence. You were competent here, but as soon as you grew discontent and you moved out of it, you're now in a position, but you're incompetent. What's scary is not that you, get, you don't get what you want, but that you get what you want, <laughs> especially if you seek it at whatever costs. And so the point is this. The Holy Spirit never promotes us to the level of our incompetence. I may. I may promote myself. These brothers are trying to promote themselves. They're trying to get in Paul's shoe. This is our chance. The apostle is down and out. We get to be apostles. We get to have that clout, that status. We get to be all over the place, seen and regarded like he's been. Now that he's in, we got no competition. This is it. And that's how a lot of people operate. She's on sabbatical. She got pregnant. She has a baby. This is my chance to get in. Come on. I, I haven't been pastor on payroll forever. I've had lots of jobs. I know how it works before I ever set foot in the pulpit. And we could go on and on for 20 minutes if we had time. We know how the world turns. And that's how the world operates. And that's how these guys who claim to be preachers of the gospel are operating in the church toward this man, the Apostle Paul. And he says, look, the Holy Spirit never does. Why? Because of this, because of anointing. You see, when we talk about being called, we need to talk about how do you find your calling? This is how I want to end it. How do you find your own calling? I want to develop this for a little bit. How do you find your own calling? When we talk about calling, we're talking about vocation, right? You heard about vocation, but vocation was a good word. It goes all the way back to the time. It was very biblical. When it was used, people understood it in relationship to God. Nowadays, you got vocational nursing, you got vocational uh, programming, you got all sorts of different vocations. But the word vocare, which is where we get calling from, presumed that there was one outside of you that called you to that. You didn't just make a decision, although that's true, to just be in it and you're doing a job. No, 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 no. You're doing it for God. So if you're a nurse, you're a bus driver, you own a business, a startup. If you're a, business, if you're a, um, a, a mother, if you're a father, if you're a student, if you're a minister, it doesn't matter where you are, if you're there because God has you there, it's a vocata, it's a calling. It's a calling, which means now it's not just some old job. It's sacred. You're actually, you don't have to wait till Sunday 
before you could start worshiping God. You can worship God through your work, through your profession. You see, the word calling means um, career or duty or work or mission. That's what calling is. Gifting, or especially anointing, is the Spirit of God's power and presence on that gifting. See the difference? It's, it's what leads to the flourishing of whatever you do. Whether you produce music, you produce beats or melody or tunes, you write poetry or you're an artist of some sort or you have a craft or some skill. The anointing is what comes behind that and results in its flourishing. You see, why is this important? Because when I give space in my life to envy and jealousy, I kill the anointing. I harm the anointing in my life. And I'm not able to operate and flourish in the way that God wants me to flourish in my life. This is critical. This is very important. This is what we see all throughout the scriptures. When you see anointing, it's God's on that person. God's favor, God's grace, God's presence, God's hand is on this person. God's with everyone, like God's omnipresent, but there's a sense in which there's this manifest presence as well. In the same way, God's anointing is on someone for a particular task. It's never to just get warm fuzzies. When God's anointing came on a man or a woman, Esther or Daniel or David, God's anointing came on that person for a task, for a mission, for an assignment. Why do I say this? In 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 12, Saul looks at David. And the Bible says Saul grew angry and afraid and jealous because he had discerned that God was with David. Sometimes the word anointing doesn't show up. But the word with does. Same thing. What was Saul envious or jealous of? The fact that David was anointed for what God had called him to do. And that prevented Saul from being able to rejoice in what God was doing. You see, this is important because you understand now your life and what God wants to do with it is at stake based on how much you and I are harboring envy and jealousy in our lives. Better yet, how much we're using envy and jealousy as the fuel in our tank to drive us forward. So many people, it's amazing. Oh, you'll get far. Oh, there are a lot of ambitious people. There are a lot of people who've gotten far. They got large followings. They're doing stuff. But what's interesting is at what cost? What motivated all of that? And for God, it matters big time. Jesus said you look for glory from one another rather than looking from the glory that comes from God. What God wants out of us as Christians is to find that calling and to pursue that calling not out of envy and jealousy, but out of a heart desire to want to go after him. 1 Corinthians 4.7 tells us another thing, and that is this, that your calling comes from God. It doesn't come from moms. It doesn't come from pops. It doesn't come from church. It, doesn't come from, it comes from God. It doesn't come from me. I don't give myself a calling. I'm not a self-appointed pastor. Your calling comes from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 says this real quick. I was going to quote it, but um, for some reason in my head it doesn't sound right. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if I could get there, chapter 4, in verse 7, he says this. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast <laughs> as if you did not receive it? Like you, you're bragging on your feed or in your media or in your life or in your book. You're bragging like you produced, you offered yourself this calling. Thank you <laughs> to me. You're bragging like you gave that to you. Whatever you have, whatever status, you're married, you're blessed with kids, you got a home, nice car, you got some decent income, making a little good decent living. Good friends, networks, peace of mind, right? doesn't matter what it is. Ministry, what do you have, actually, that you did not receive, Paul says? What do you have that you did not receive? Meaning, our calling, whatever it is, and it comes in different forms, calling. Our calling comes from who? 
comes from God. You see that? That creates a level of humility. I realize, wait a second, I'm just stewarding this, Matthew 25. I'm the man who's been given five or two talents or one. And my job is to make sure I know what to do with this calling that I've been entrusted with before the master comes back. Because he's going to want to know, how did you invest it? What happened with the one who had one? He buried it. He buried it. Why? How come I didn't get five? How come you didn't give me two? I, I just, I, I drew some conclusions about you. That's why I didn't. Oh, you did, huh? So what do you know about me? You're a hard master, reaping where you never sow. And so I figured since you're this kind of a, a God, right, because in the parable it's Jesus, since this is the picture that I have of you that I think is right, I felt entitled to not do anything with my life and just chill and be lazy and not do anything. And so we feed ourselves excuses why we're not getting after it in our life. Why we're not making something of ourselves. Why we're not going hard and achieving and going forward. Just because it's not supposed to be out of envy doesn't mean it's not supposed to be out of anything. (laughs) The moral of the story is not, therefore do nothing with your life. (laughs) In fact, the sooner you put your life in God's hands, the more driven and ambitious and forthright your life is going to be. I couldn't tell you. I'm doing more now with my life in God's hands than I ever did when I was trying to do it on my own. God does that. What do you have that you did not receive? You want God's anointing on your life? That's going to lead to, you want God to touch that and blow on that? Whatever that is, he can make it multiply. He can make it into something. He could take that marriage And turn it into something that you would have never imagined. He could take that season of your life that you think is just a a pause, an in-between between what really mattered to what I'm hoping will matter and turn it into something itself. He could take those kids of yours. He could take that profession. He could take that gifting that you have, that skill, and he doesn't need envy. He doesn't need you eaten alive by what's going on with somebody else to get you up and going. No, no, no. He's got his own way. That's our God. He's got his own way. But he wants to work in your life. What's it going to take? It's going to take what we see here with Jesus. It's going to take what Paul had. What did Paul say? In this I rejoice. Yes, in all of this. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul rejoiced in the Lord as a way to get himself out of his season and out of this situation that had all of the abilities to tear him down. Oh, did they want to do it? And they wanted to hear, did we get him? Is he sulking in there now? Yeah. That's not what we want. What Paul had, you can have. What God helped Paul in, God wants to help me and you in. This is true, church. Doesn't matter what stage you're in, where's your calling? Where's your calling? Don't find your calling by what somebody else is doing. Find your calling by what God wants to do with you. You get it from God. You don't get it from anybody else. And guess what? When you lay hold of that and you live out of that identity, God's anointing is on your life. God's presence, God's power, God's grace is with you. And like Saul noticed it with David, folk are going to notice it with you. God's with you. God's with you, church. The Lord is with you, church. In all that you're doing, you're not on your own. The Lord is with you. Amen? Let's stand together if we can. Let's, as we're about to pray, take your situation and let's bring it to God right now. You're in a relationship. You're trying to see where this thing is headed. Bring it to God. You're in a season where you just graduated and you're, you got one interview after another. Let's not look at the other interviews, the other person. Take it to God. You're in a season where God's showing you some favor at that career, at that company, and it's blowing your mind, let's take it to God. Or maybe you're in a situation where you thought what you had was going to be around for a while, and even that was taken away from you. Let's take it to God. Let's take it to God, no matter what season you're in. What did Paul say? We're going to see this in weeks to come. I've learned that whatever situation I'm in, therewith, thereby to be content. What was the secret? I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. I could do not being quite where I want to be yet with my life through Christ who strengthens me. I could do, man, I didn't realize I was going to arrive here this quickly. And now I'm here. How do I steward all this? How do I enjoy all of this blessing? I could even do that through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter where you are, we can go to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your grace in our life. God, what drove Jesus, I pray, drive this church. That what was the motivating factor in his life be the motivating factor in our life. And God, we, we repent of all envy, all jealousy. Lord God, anything that is not of you that has been fueling why we have been doing what we're doing, we set that aside. And we ask, Lord God, give us, give us a clean heart, oh God, as, as the psalmist prayed. Renew a, a right spirit within me. Take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of what? Your salvation. We're not going to find joy busy in somebody else's lane. The only way we're going to find joy is when we remain contented in our own lane. The lane that you've given us. The calling that you've put on our life. Help us, Lord God. The Bible says in Romans 12, 3, to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But to each has been given a measure of faith. Each of us has been given a measure. Something that we've been called to that the other person has been called to. Help us, Lord God, to not only know what that is, but to be thankful for that. And to operate from that, I pray. Lord, be with this church, I'm asking. As we're about to go forward from this place, we've got relationships to go back to. We've got jobs and professions to return to. We've got ministry, Lord God, to engage in. We've got people to see all over again. And my prayer is, Lord God, that we be whole. That we be a wholesome company. That we be people who are content in ourselves. That are comfortable in our own skin. That are fine with how you've made us. So that we can now celebrate the goodness of God in our fellow man, in our fellow woman's life. Do this, we ask. Spirit of God, we want your anointing in our lives. I want your anointing upon this church. I don't want this church just busy doing stuff. I want this church busy, but I want them busy with your presence, with your favor, with your hand, so that people could look at them and say, surely God is with them. God is with her. God is with him. God is with that church, I pray. Do this, we ask. We thank you. We bless you. We trust you, Father God. We pray all this in your son's name. And everybody say, amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. God bless you.